Welcoming you back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Managing Editor Brendan Slaughter joined, as always, by my recruiting analyst Jared Hallis here for BeaversEdge.com. Well, Oregon State, Stanford coming up here uh, real soon, right around the corner. We're recording this podcast on a Thursday. Beavers uh, set to take on the Cardinals Saturday night, another late Pac-12 after dark matchup. I know all the Beaver fans are looking forward to another round of night game at Reeser Stadium and another home game, thanks to uh, Stanford not being able to play in their own homes. So that's another plus for Oregon State. We'll break down that game uh, as we kind of get towards the end of the podcast, but just to kind of recap, uh, Jared and I haven't taught you guys since uh, Oregon State fell to Utah this last weekend. Um, Jared, just right off the bat, what were some of your takeaways from that game? Uh, I know for a fact that um, the way Chance Nolan played was not what you and I expected. Yeah, no, it's a it's a, it a great performance. You have to love uh, the fight that the team showed. You know, while there was a lot of times where they probably could have bowed out and, and uh, you know just said this is this is out of reach, but. The thing be the team continue to battle it out, and uh, you know try to claw their way back into a game after after being in a in a pretty big deficit. So uh, you, you like to see that. You know you touched on Chance. He's uh, he showed some flashes, um, but certainly showed some flashes of things that needed to be improved as well. So some stuff to work on there. Uh, looking forward to seeing how it's all you know brushed up and, and fixed heading into this game. Certainly. And, and, you know, you hit the you hit the nail kind of right on the head there. And, you know, the way I describe that game to Oregon State is the second that they knew. And again, I think it's um, upon further review. I think it's quite interesting that they knew Jamar Jefferson probably wasn't going to play on Tuesday and managed to sit on that information all the way until Saturday. Uh, credit for, uh, you know, having uh, tight lips there, loose lips sink ships. So Oregon State definitely kept everyone in the dark there. But if it wasn't bad enough having your arm tied behind your back, not having Jamar Jefferson, then you had your backup quarterback. And then they tied your other arm behind your back and took out, you know, your best backup running back. And you were on to your third string running back in real quick order. My point in all that is, is all considering, I think the end result was what the end result was. But you got to give credit to the team. They fought, they clawed, they were right there. And and I get it, right? Jonathan Smith said after the game, he felt they could have played better and they could have. But when you consider the circumstances, Utah, as we talked about, was extremely desperate for a win. And, you know, they they made it really tough on Oregon State's offense throughout the whole day. Yeah, yeah, they definitely were, uh, you know, seemingly the more motivated team coming into it. Uh, you know, we kind of questioned which team would, would end up being looking that way. And, uh, you know, I think Utah came out with a little fire. And uh, that's how they were able to, to get the lead that they did. Ultimately, it was just a little too much to come back from. Again, like you said, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that went into the game for Oregon State uh, that really downplayed their chances of winning the game. Yep. Uh, so I think given all the circumstances, they were able to, to make it a competition, which is all you can ask for. Certainly. And, you know, just when you're kind of looking at that game and, you know, there were missed opportunities, right, whether it was, you know, Nashawn Wright dropping in a would-be interception, uh, Hamaka Rashid dropped a would-be interception at a time, Tegan Quatoriano dropped a would-be touchdown uh, early in the game, too. So, you know, Jonathan, everyone this whole week has been saying it's all about the missed opportunities. And when you look at it, you know, um, breaking it down, you just see Oregon State just left too much cheddar out there. And, you know, that's why they weren't able to um, get the win. But with that being said, though, life moves on. There's more football games to be played. And in the case of Oregon State, you know, Jonathan Smith announced on Monday, Tristan Jebbia, 
out for the year, gone. He's done, uh, had uh, surgery on his uh, injured hamstring. He'll be back and ready to go uh, next year. We're not sure if he'll be ready by spring ball or not, still to be determined. But once you got that news, you're like, okay, there's, you know, no one's going to feel sorry for you. Chance Nolan's got to get ready to go. He's got one, two, or, you know, potentially three, I guess, since a bowl game's still not out of the question yet, um, games to be able to kind of have his audition. And I say audition because, you know, Jared, you and I will get into this and in, in kind of this discussion. But at this point, can you tell me that that quarterback competition in spring will not be wide open? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, there's now another piece to the puzzle with Sam uh, coming in early. Yep. It, uh, it's going to be super interesting. I think similarly to last season, you know, you kind of will have to give Tristan a bit of bit of an edge. Yep. Uh, just based on everything that we've seen at this point, unless Chance lights it up, which he, he could very well do. Um, but, you know, coming into last season's spring practice, you know, there was there was kind of a vibe that, that Tristan was going to be the guy. It ended up being that way. I think that will probably be the same thing that happens this year. Maybe not. I'm not saying that he's, you know, got the job on lock, but he, he'll probably have a little bit of an edge. Uh, but as far as competition goes, man, I mean, what more could you ask for? Well, and I think just like, you know, Jared, just compared to like, you know, you weren't quite, you said you weren't with edge when, you know, it was the, the real rough days of the quarterback position uh, under Gary Anderson when the depth was not there. But you, you remember long enough to know that when the Beavers were trotting out, you know, Connor Blount and some other guys and the depths, the depth necessarily wasn't there, right? You lost your starter and then, oh boy, here's this guy who, you know, maybe had been over his head. Next year, you're going to have a quarterback room that has one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the conference as far as like years and being in a system in Tristan Jebbia, a really good looking rising redshirt uh, soft or yeah, redshirt uh, or redshirt freshman Gobranson or redshirt this year um, coming in as well as Ben Gobranson will be in the mix. Um, you talk about Sam Vidlak, um, you know, really, really under the radar guy um, beyond just the Oregon state circles. I mean, obviously everyone in Oregon state circles knows um, what Sam's all about, but I still think he's going to surprise some people when he gets here too. And then you toss in chance Nolan who, Oh, by the way, was just a four-star recruit last year. So, <laughs> you know, it's, the depth and talent in that room, um, you know, it's all got a lot of moving pieces and stuff to be determined, but big picture from this conversation, the quarterback depth for those that have been worried about it in previous cycles, it looks to be set up quite well for the foreseeable future now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and they're continuing, they've already gotten, you know, some great relationships built for the 2022 class. So I don't exactly. think that will slow down. Uh, having a former quarterback as your head coach certainly helps with quarterback recruiting. Um, so I think you're kind of starting to see that payoff already, like you were just talking about. I, I mean, I don't think I don't think that would change as long as Jonathan Smith's the head coach at Oregon State. Yeah, and and not to mention Brian Lindgren in his own right was you know a pretty good quarterback too, and I believe he has some state records somewhere. I mean, he was pretty solid QB too, and then obviously Jonathan. So you kind of got the QB tandem, you know, right. being able to go on that recruiting trail. And <laughs> you know, just in your opinion, Jared, what do you think? You know, what do you think that says that Jonathan can say, hey, I quarterbacked here. And even Brian Lindgren has a pretty good background of being able to, you know, show what he did at the college level, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it certainly helps. I mean, you know, for a guy like Sam, he, you know, if you saw our story yesterday on Beaver's Edge, um, you know, it's a big thing for him. And uh, there's just so much knowledge there. So it's absolutely something that, you know, these quarterbacks are going to see. And uh, like I said, you're seeing a payoff already, and I, I don't think that would change.
And uh, just go ahead and move it along to our next topic here. Uh, obviously, the biggest news of yesterday, uh, Jamar Jefferson cleared to play uh, against uh, Stanford this weekend. Uh, Jonathan Smith uh, told John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth on Wednesday that he returned to practice and he will be um, he is cleared. He didn't say for certainty that he will play. We're looking to confirm that with Jonathan uh, today, as we mentioned, we're recording this on a Thursday. Um, but uh, as far as just the extremely likelihood that he'll be back now that he's back at practice and John McCartney and Ruea Miyagi also returned from that as well. You know, you can't even measure it, Jared. I mean, saying it's huge to have him back doesn't even do it justice. Like Beaver fans, interpret it as you may. Enormous, huge, whatever adjective or verb you want. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's certainly big, man. Jamar's a, a heck of a player. And, you know, you saw in the rushing attack last last week that it just wasn't working out. No. So bringing him back, man, it's just it's exciting. And it brings the, the offense to a whole new level. It can open up the the read option a lot for Chance as well because there's a real threat if he does decide to, to you know, hand the ball off instead of pull. So uh, it's really going to open some things up. And and I, I think this week will be, you know, like we said about, about Tristan a couple weeks ago, uh, I think before the Oregon game, you know, you kind of got to give them a, a couple weeks. You know, nobody, no, I don't think anybody's writing chance off at this point, no. but they're skeptics now. And, uh, you know, so he's, he's got something to prove. And so uh, this week, and, you know, if there is another game, will be a good time for him to prove that. Certainly. And, and, you know, just talking a little bit about, uh, um, you know, that game itself and chance um, last point on him before we start to move over to Stanford, but, you know, Jared, we've seen some questions from the subscribers on the damn board this week. And, you know, even just me as a football fan, you'd be pretty hard not to notice that that play fourth and one where Oregon State was down six and had a position to score and win the game. And if Chance Nolan had kept the ball on the read zone, he'd still be walking, still be walking to the end zone all these many weeks later. And after the game, Jonathan Smith said, Chance Nolan, you know, that was a designed RPO. He had the option to pull if he wanted to, and even Coach Lindgren told us that as well. I guess, you know, Jared, how does a game like that sit with you? Obviously, Chance Nolan, you know, this whole week has been saying he knows he can be better. You wrote a story on him. I wrote a story on him. We know the talent's there. I just think that was maybe the worst kind of a situation you could throw a first-time starter into on the road. I mean, add fans into the mix, and it would have been worse. But, you know, on the road, playing a really, really good Utah team. I mean, a Utah team that just hangs their hat on defense year in, year out. No Jamar Jefferson, no B.J. Baylor. And, you know, how how much chemistry did you really have developed with those receivers? And I think as evidenced by him working mostly with Zariah Beeson, that's the guy he's got the most chemistry with. So I think it's going to be really interesting. But just my question for you is, how do you move on from that, knowing that you could have won your team that game if you had pulled the ball there? Well, Utah, like you said, is such a disciplined team. And so for, for plays like that with RPOs, I mean, they're going to sit and they're, they're going to get the right read most of the time just because that's how disciplined they're taught to be. Yep. Um, so that, it's, a, it's a tough first game, absolutely, like you said. Uh, but moving on, I, I actually – your question reminded me of something. Uh, Georgia Tech used to have a quarterback named Taquan Marshall. His very first game against Tennessee was in 2017, and he had a Heisman vote after his first game against Tennessee. Absolutely lit it up. But Taquan was obviously a, a great player throughout the rest of his career, but I'm not sure we ever saw that Taquan ever again. Mm. It's, a, it's a first game thing, you know. For some people, it's different than others. We saw it last year with Tristan. Uh, you know, he, he had a really good game against Oregon. 
And then the first couple of games of this season, we're like, like, who's this? This is not who we saw last year. So for Chance, you know, he's he's got a better opportunity because the bar that he and again, this is no disrespect for, for Chance at all, but like you said, he knows he has improvements to make. So if he can come and make those improvements, then you know, it's it's all the more power to him. Whereas with other players like Tristan and like the example I just gave, you know, you set the bar so high and then anything else that you do is like, well, why can't you do it like you did the first game? So, you know, Chance has advantage of that, right? There's not, uh, I mean, there's pressure because he knows he has to get better, but he's not coming and telling himself, like, if I don't drop 500 yards total offense next week, everybody's going to be disappointed, you know? So it's all, I, I think it's mostly a mindset thing. You know, the coaching's definitely there. Like we've said, the talent's there. It's just a matter of, you know, getting in the correct headspace, uh, flushing the mistakes that you made and learning from them throughout this week and really, you know, diving in and, and uh, making it happen. Couldn't agree more. And, and last topic I want to get to just before we uh, kind of really um, kind of briefly preview the game, um, Oregon State's defense. You know, I wrote about it this week. One of the most Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situations with this defense is they can't seem to come out firing right off the bat. Oregon State's defense, whether it be against Utah, Oregon, Cal, whoever it had been, they've been better in second half. Washington, there's another Washington State better in the second half. But for whatever reason, there's just something about the early parts of games. I mean, I think back this last weekend, despite Oregon State's defense playing well and holding them to those field goals, Utah marched down the field with relative ease. They were able to stiffen in the red zone and, you know, keep the game in tow. But, you know, I remember tweeting at the moment, it could have been 21-0 very, very easily. And, you know, that's just kind of the thing that the team, in particular the defensive coaches, have been just trying to get their thumb on, you know, for weeks is why are they not starting games super fast? And, you know, that's putting them behind the eight ball. And, you know, that for me is what I'd be looking to see from the defense this weekend because, as I said in my story, I think they've shown modest improvements from where they were last year. And, heck, they're oceans further than where they were in 2018, let me tell you. But, um, you know, as far as this year goes, I think that's kind of the thing. And we heard from Tim Tibisar say we still haven't seen a complete game. I feel like I've been hearing that narrative of a complete game from this coaching staff, the previous coaching staff. So maybe it's just a little tougher to put together a complete game on both sides of the ball at Oregon State. But nevertheless, I'm, I'm just I'm curious. From your, or go ahead, Jared. No, I was just saying that's a that here as well. For, for multiple programs. I, I don't think it's really necessarily just an Oregon State thing. And I, I don't think that's what you're getting at. But yeah. yeah, that's a pretty common, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of teams. And especially, like you said, this season, I, I don't think we have seen it. I mean, of course, you probably pointed Oregon uh, that game for, for one that they probably played completely the most. Uh, but even there then, there's still they, opportunities there. To, yeah. yeah. And even then, they spotted been. Oregon a fair amount of points and had to come back, as we both know. So, right. I mean, right. It, it, you know, you and I know the player, players on this defense. You know, we know exactly what they have. We know the talent that they have. It's a lot better than what it was last year and the year before, particularly, man, Avery Roberts, man. that's a, that, that guy's a man amongst boys out there leading the Pac-12 in tackles. He is a monster on the field. And, you know, I think he's been a really, really, really awesome addition just for the, you know, real tightness of, you know, not letting those big explosive plays happen. You know, the nice thing is, is unlike previous years where, at least once a game, it saw it would it would be assumed that the Oregon State defense would give up a massive explosive play. Those 
have kind of dwindled a little bit. So that's been, you know, progress. And, you know, you talk about small steps, but Jared against a team like Stanford, that's probably not going to run up the scoreboard on you anyway, just with the way that they play controlling the clock being, you know, Stanford esque three tight ends, a fullback, maybe an extra offensive lineman. How important will it be to maybe, you know, stop Stanford on a couple early drives just to kind of get that momentum going? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's something that we haven't really seen. I mean, there's been third down stops and first possession stops and everything. But if they could really shut them down, maybe like, what was it, the Cal game last year? They hopped out to a 21-0 start like right away from UCLA. One of the California teams. Yeah. Uh, But something like that, I would love to see something like that. And, I I mean, at that point in that game, I think it was only five minutes in they had 21 points. (laughs) But – uh. Yeah, it, it would it would be super inspiring for the team, I think, to to do that. Um, and uh, you know, they're they're a dangerous squad. They've just got to put the pieces together, like like uh, Coach Tibbs was saying, and like everybody's been saying. Certainly, and just to kind of start to wrap up uh, this edition of the podcast again, uh, make sure just to keep it locked to BeaversEdge.com as Jared and I are uh, we're within a week of signing day. It's obviously going to be a little bit different this year, being in the midst of you know a season. The Beavers will still be playing a football game that weekend. Uh, to be determined exactly on how the coaches and everything are going to be doing press conferences and talking about guys. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, it's, it's different because usually you don't see coaches talking about their recruits while they're, you know, while the game is still going on. So that part's going to be a little unique to me, but I expect Jonathan Smith will speak. And, you know, the really unique thing for us, Jared, and for the Beavers as a whole is the size of this class. Just kind of update us. Where are we right now? And are you expecting any big surprises uh, down the stretch? Yeah, yeah. It's a, like you said, super small class, uh, but it's not at, at fault of anybody. This was the plan all along. You could see it happening this way, you know, since the beginning of the year, even before the beginning of the year, that you could just tell that there wasn't going to be, uh, you know, 15 plus people in this class like we've seen the years prior. And again, right. that's all, that's, all, that's all the plan, you know, especially in this weird year where we don't know who's coming back and who's not since everybody got an extra year, you know, you don't want to take a gamble on scholarships. Um, But they didn't, there's not many graduating seniors anyways. So, you know, it was something where the class was always going to be smaller. They really went out and found guys that, that they needed to get. uh, And they, they filled the position they need. I know there's a lot of rumbles, rumbles about we need more offensive linemen and we need more defensive linemen. I think those are going to come. Uh, but as of now, you know, I think they're pretty content with the, with the guys they have, and rightfully so. We, we've said this before on the podcast. It's a small class, but everybody's dangerous. So I think that uh, they really address their needs well. Um, and obviously, you know, as far as the offensive line and defensive line goes, I think that if they, if they feel there's a need there, which I, I'm sure they do, then uh, they'll, you know, do whatever measures necessary to, to fill those gaps. Defensive line, I would I'd agree with you, and I would tell every single Oregon State Edge subscriber the same thing that I've been typing in print for the last, you know, basically since Jim Mahalchek was hired. I'll never worry about the Oregon State offensive line as long as Coach Mahalchek yeah. is there because maybe you're not getting the most marquee guys, but by the time they're ready to start and play in his system, they're good to go. I mean, you look at this last weekend, a guy like Keely Montabon right? Struggle with injuries. Hasn't played a ton throughout his career. Oh, he just casually stepped in for Noose and did well. Both games. You couldn't even hardly tell when Noose Kiabunum was, you know, out for COVID-19 tracing protocols. So 
The defensive line, I'll give you that because I don't think the Beavers as a unit have proven really anything with consistency since Jonathan Smith has arrived at that position group. On the flip side, Jim Mahalchik and that group, they have proved what they can do, and uh, I'm confident in them. But, uh, you know, one thing that I mentioned. I mean, you have to resort back to last year's class, which was, in my opinion, fantastic. They got some really, really good guys in last year's class. They've got Henry and, and Sione Vecoso in this one. Uh, so, I mean, well, you know, maybe interesting to see what happens there. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good class, too. And like, like we said, everybody, it's a small class, but it's dangerous. And uh, to me, I would rather them, especially for defensive linemen, you've got Omer and Faamui. He's a great player. Yep. If they need to, if they need to find another one, I trust that they will. It's not about getting four guys in the class or five, however many. And this coaching staff has shown the ability to go to the transfer portal if needed. I mean, you know, it right. obviously didn't work out with right. Charles Moore, but that was an example of them dipping into the transfer portal to pick up a high-impact guy. And just as I mentioned to you when we were talking about the size of this class, if I was Beaver fans, I would look at this kind of small number, not likely going to add any more, with a grain of good and bad. It's like, sure, maybe you're not getting, you know, a couple more guys, but that led me to believe there are some redshirt seniors or true seniors that have indicated they want to come back. And you can't buy experience in college football. So for me, I'd take the redshirt seniors or seniors that wanted to come back over a ninth or 10th guy in the addition. That's a no-brainer to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, that's not confirmed or anything, but it certainly is a good possibility. Yeah. Uh, there's some guys with stuff to prove still. And, I, I mean, they very well could come back. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to get people just to get them. Scholarships aren't a dime a dozen. So, uh you know, you, you want to make sure that you're being selective. And Oregon State's done a good job of that, especially when you're talking running backs, quarterbacks, things like that. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's okay for people to question the recruiting on the lines in the trenches so far. Yeah. But it, you can't, what you can't question is, like you were saying, what, what happens to the players when they do arrive. So you just – you got to have faith in the coaching staff. Uh, I mean, that, that's all it comes down to, truly. They get paid the big bucks for a reason. They're in the positions that they're in for a reason. So, uh, you know, they know better than, than anybody else does, myself. Anybody, I mean, heck, it does not matter who. They know better. Uh, so you, you just got to trust them. And uh, I, I trust – I mean, I think they've got a plan in place and they'll see it through. Certainly. And, and, and again, make sure to keep it locked to beaversedge.com. We are going to have full breakdown of recruiting uh, signing day next weekend or next weekend, next Wednesday, excuse me, getting the, my days mixed up here. That'll be next Wednesday. Um, we'll have complete coverage beaversedge.com. You don't want to miss it. Um, just to kind of wrap up the podcast now, Jared, um, are the Beavers going to chop down the tree this weekend? Is Stanford going down and research stadium? What's kind of your, your, your gut right now as far as which way you're leaning? Obviously, we're not going to spoil it now. Check out staff predictions tomorrow or Friday morning as we will have that whole thing broken down. Right now, Stanford comes in, I believe, last time I checked the line, as a very small favorite, two, three points. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a really nip and tuck game with whosoever style is able, who's ever able to control the time position and play their style of game. Um Right now, I, I like Oregon State. I want to sleep on it and write my prediction uh, later this evening. But right now, I still like Oregon State. How about you? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. And I, I hate to sound like a homer because I've picked Oregon State a lot this year. But, I mean, if the Oregon game didn't prove it to you, you know, they're they're very obviously a team that can, they can hang with anybody. Yep. 
And, uh, I mean, I think Utah is probably a little better than Stanford. And, uh, you know, they were missing a lot of pieces in that game. One massive piece, the biggest piece to the offense, the biggest piece to the team is returning this week. Um, so, you know, there's there's some more things going for them this week. So, uh, you know, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I like I like Oregon State, but I want to give it a, a little more thought, maybe look a little bit deeper at Stanford. Uh, but as for now, I think uh, at the very at the minimum, this is going to be another super close game, another one where I'll probably be up until two thirty in the morning. <laughs> of it. Uh, so I'm I'm excited. Yeah, certainly, Jared. Uh, those uh, Pac-12 after dark games are more like Pac-12 mid morning games for those of you on the East Coast. But uh, nevertheless, it's going to be exciting. We'll have complete coverage here at BeaversEdge.com. Um, obviously, stay with us step by step. Here, we're in a really really busy time right now. Um, it's go time. We got signing day coming up. We got football. Both basketball programs are really starting to get in the mix of things. We'll be jumping on and giving a lot more attention to them here in the coming weeks as well once, you know, everything starts to flip towards hoops. So lots of exciting times coming up, lots of exciting things going on, and most notably right ahead and right in front of us, a matchup with the Stanford Cardinal at Research Stadium, 730 uh, on Saturday night. So it should be an exciting game. Make sure to stay uh, with Jared Hallis and myself for uh, updates throughout that. And uh, make sure to also check out all of our pregame content. We're going to have staff predictions. Jared will have a starters recruit story. Um, we'll have the injury report and so on and so forth. So we really appreciate you guys checking out this edition of the podcast. We'll be back next week for Jared Hallis. I'm Brendan Slaughter signing off in this edition of the Edge Podcast. <laughs>